it's okay, I know. So I'm talking about the Brahma Viharas now. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat all of that, but um, and so the Brahma Viharas can be, um, as I said, strengthened or developed until they become immeasurable, and then they're known as the immeasurables, meaning it becomes boundless because we we don't pick and choose at some point. At some point, everybody's included, all beings are included, whether we like them or not, all beings are included in our heartfulness. And so it's part of what we uh, develop to, um, uh, um, to teach, to develop in ourselves is friendliness or kindness and the celebratory capacity and the capacity to connect with others and also the equanimity, the equanimous the, the or the equanimity that can really allow people to be different than who we are. That everybody doesn't have to be just like me for me to relate to them and to be interested in and to appreciate them. There's a kind of equanimity that, bring, that brings a relaxation about the otherness of other people. And it's one of the, the otherness of other people and the inability to uh, accept that is one of the things that causes a tremendous amount of suffering as I believe we can all see in our world, you know, between nations or between different races or different religions or different peoples or different communities or different, whatever the differences might be. <clears throat> and so instead of making sense of somebody based on my orientation, starting to accept people and learning about what's their orientation, who, who are these people who I might not know. And so that's the, the Brahma-viharas as virtues, right? And then there's the Brahma-viharas as meditative exercises. And many people here know this already. It's a way of practicing where you might repeat phrases to, um, to acknowledge and support and develop the Brahma-viharas. So like, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be you know, free from suffering. These are, these are part of the Brahma-vihara meditative practices. Um, um, and then there's another aspect of the Brahma-viharas which is in their flowering. They are actually just, they come with awakening. They come with a heart that is free. They come with a heart that has truly let go. Not, not something, not a mechanical letting go, but a heart that's awake, that's wo wo woken up. That's the way I want to say it. Um, and so today I'd like to continue. I talked for a few weeks about metta, loving kindness, and for a few weeks about compassion, about self-compassion, and about compassion for others for a few weeks. I'd like to talk about mudita, 
mudita is the basic translation is joy. And here's a quote from uh, the Buddha. He said, live in joy, live in joy, in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy, in health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy, in peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment, know the sweet joy of the way. Right? So he's, he's suggesting this potential for us to live in joy even when there's hatred or live in joy even though everybody's not fine or live in joy even among the troubled, right? And look within and be still and when we become free from fear, free, free, free from attachment, we can begin to know the sweet joy of the way, the way being the Dharma way or the Buddha way or the way to, the way that leads to freedom. And Mudita is the Brahma Vihara that is sometimes translated as appreciative joy or empathic joy or uh, altruistic joy or just joy and I like the word I like joy because for many words I always heard it um, as sympathetic joy and there may be those components to it but it 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 starts to limit the joy oh it's got to be sympathetic or it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way what about just joy itself and joy for all <clears throat> Thich Nhat Hanh said, the great Vietnamese Buddhist teacher, he said, some commentators have said that mudita means sympathetic joy or altruistic joy, the happiness we feel when others are happy, but that is too limited. That is too limited. It discriminates between self and others. It discriminates between self and others. A deeper definition of mudita is a joy that is filled with peace and contentment. A joy that is filled with peace and contentment. We rejoice when we see others happy, but we rejoice in our own well-being as well. Joy is for everyone, including you, meaning me each of us, right? And it's often the hardest, often it's a beautiful practice, uh, the Brahma Viharas, as a, as a wishing practice. You know, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be free from suffering, may, may you, you know, may, may you be healthy, all kind, may you be well. It's great, but, but it's often much harder for people to give those wishes to themselves and to start to see themselves and recognize their own loving kindness or their own compassion or their own joy. And so the Buddha is saying, oh yeah, turn, turn and look right where you're sitting and see it because he knows that what, that, what happens when we start to recognize it here, it, can, it also helps the recognition, the being with it, helps it continue to flower and mature and ripen until we get the full fruit 
of what it is to be a human being and what's possible for each person here, for each one of us to, to awaken like the Buddha did. And so part of um, looking at joy or any quality like joy or loving kindness or compassion is to begin to ask, well, what blocks it, right? What, what gets in the way of joy and seeing our joy? And uh, there are different things. It's different for different. You can, of course, each reflect on what gets in the way, what blocks your joy, your delight, your, your happiness at seeing your own happiness or the happiness of somebody else. And often, I'll just say a couple things, but I'm not trying to give the complete list, but one of the things is the comparing mind often gets in the way. Oh, they're so happy, I never want to see them again. <laughs> they're having such a good time, get out of here. You know, and believe me, I've said that, <laughs> to, at least under my breath. <laughs> but, but it, you know, it's just the comparing mind that thinks, oh, there's not enough joy to go around <laughs> for some reason. Or we compare this, that person's happiness or good fortune or joy, and we're not feeling so good, and we're having a hard time being with our own suffering, and so then we don't want that other thing. You know, because I don't want to be with myself, let alone with you feeling good. <clears throat> and in Buddhism, there, there are what's called different enemies, near and far enemies, to, uh, to uh, uh, any state of consciousness like mudita. And for mudita, the, one of the, the near enemy, when they use the term in Buddhism, the near enemy, it means, oh, it looks like the, what it's um, the enemy of. And then far enemy is a lot more obvious. You know, I hope you'll hear the difference here. So the near enemy of joy is the party spirit. Is the party spirit, like having fun, but without being connected to anyone or anything. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna have a good time no matter what, and to hell with everybody else, and then I'm, I'm having a lot of joy. But underneath it, it's actually, there's no depth to the joy. It's, it's kind of mechanical joy, right? And so that's called the near enemy, and the far enemy is discontent, right? And it's like, it's, it's really a blocking it, maybe consciously, but it, maybe unconsciously or consciously, is a kind of, uh, you know, somebody tells a joke and it's like, I don't want to resonate with them. I'm not in that kind of mood to hell with you. And so it's the discontent is blocking the joy, is the enemy of the joy that might happen. Or, or even seeing the goodness that might be happening for someone, for some people or a situation, it's like, oh, to hell with that crap. I'm just, you know, I'm in a bad mood and so I'm cutting it off. And that's considered the, the um, fire enemy or the, the, the opposite of joy itself. Andre Gide, who was not a Buddhist, said, know that joy is rarer 
more difficult and more beautiful than sadness. Know that joy is more difficult, is rarer, more difficult, and more beautiful than sadness. Once you make this all-important discovery, you must embrace joy as a moral obligation. Now that's, whether he was Buddhist or not, that's a great Buddhist teaching, right? Right, to see that it's actually more difficult and rarer and, and more beautiful than sadness. Because we get a little, um, and Buddhism is, you know, I like Buddhism a lot. Um, having practiced now for 35 years or some ridiculous amount. Um, um, and, um, uh, but it gets a little suffering uh, obsessed. And of course it's great because first of all it teaches that suffering is part of life and it's not just a mistake or you've done something wrong. You're it's part of human reality suffering. But sometimes, at least for some of us in the Buddhist community, we get a little obsessed with suffering and joy is like, oh, who cares about that? Suffering's where the real juice is in Buddhism. And, and it, that's true and it's not true, meaning suffering is incredibly important and joy is also equally important. Happiness is equally important. You know, the Dalai Lama, when his, whenever he talks about human beings, and he says, uh, he says this repeatedly, he says, oh, all of us want to be happy. That's what we're each doing. Now let's learn how to do it so we can be happy. <clears throat> so then part of our practice is to recognize what brings joy. When are you feeling joyful? Or, or what uh, supports joy? Or, you know, what brought joy today? And I was thinking about this, given doing this talk, and it was an interesting weekend. It was my father-in-law's 80th birthday, right? And so we had a party for him. We didn't, we didn't, I didn't, but I went to the party for him meaning I didn't do anything for the party. Um, but I went, and actually what I did was, he wanted to go on a hike yesterday, so I met him for a hike with some other people, uh, most of whom I didn't know. You know, some family of his that maybe I've met once before from out of town, and, and some friends of his who I didn't know. And, um, and then I went to the party today, and it was interesting to watch how much joy it brought. First of all, to see him, he's 80, he's, you know, he's still hiking around and doing good stuff, and, you know, he's alive, and it makes me happy, brought, brought joy. And I appreciated his good fortune, because he's worked hard in his life, but he's had a lot of good fortune. It doesn't mean he hasn't had suffering, because he has, and I know about that, but but also just to see him, you know, we, we had a great talk on the walk at, at different times in the walk, different people paired up, right? And 
So, and I walked with him for a while uh, near the end, and it was just so interesting to hear him talk about his work, because he's an attorney, and he's been an attorney forever, and, and built a company, and then, you know, damped down a bit, and then the company got built, bought by another law firm, and he started working for them, and he's, and he's older, so he's not used so much for the prime stuff, right? But what they've done is they keep him on to have his voice there because he knows a lot about what he knows a lot about, right, in terms of the law and the legal realms they're involved in. And so, so they um, keep him on, and they've given him all this pro bono work to do, which is, he didn't do for a lot of his life, you know, he was making a living. And so he's been doing all this pro bono work, a lot for immigrants and a lot around uh, gender prejudice. And um, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, um, about people who have changed gen gender and things like that. And so he's been doing all this pro bono and also for people who've come out of the military and needed help and didn't get the help that they needed. And so he's been doing all this, what I think of as really good work for people, and he, he loves it. And it's brought all this joy to his life. And I love seeing that for him. And then he told me, eh, but they did bring him back for this one case this year, and it's a hard case, and he's in there, and, and he's, you know, he's punching because it's a for real case. And even that, uh, I felt a lot of joy. Oh, and I said to him, I said, well, it's great you can go in and, and play in the big game, but not too much. And he said, exactly. It's nice to do it a little bit, to know I can do it, but I don't have to do that anymore. I can do this other work, which actually I like more, but I'm, I'm happy I can still get into the ring and box a little bit. So it was really, it was interesting to feel the joy for him, uh, you know, especially just still getting to know him after many years, but like anybody, still getting to know him. And the other thing that brought me joy on the walk was, so I walked with some of the relatives who I didn't know at all, and it was just so interesting to talk to people and to see who they were and how much, how similar we all are. Whether, whether I know them or not, whoever they are or not. Because there were some people very different from me. I have my own weird life that I've lived. And these people were not quite as weird as I was. Mm -hmm. and, but I still, it was just appreciating their devotion and their dedication and what they gave to life and how they dedicated themselves. This one guy was an astrophysicist, right? He was a smart guy, and, but he doesn't do any of that anymore. But, and so we, we ended up having a really interesting conversation about consciousness and what is consciousness. He, he, he started at talking about, we saw a horse, and he started talking about the intelligence of the horse, and he wanted to know how do they have, how does their intelligence work if they don't have language? Because he knew a lot about language. And, I, and it was just an interesting question that we, then we started talking about consciousness and what's the difference between human consciousness and animal consciousness, because it's all living consciousness, right? 
whether it's human or animal, whether it's a horse or what or whatever animal or a whale or an eagle or whatever it might be, it's all consciousness that's alive. And Buddhism, of course, is so beautiful because it has so much respect for all living consciousness, for all living beings, right? When we do the Brahma Viharas, we might start with for ourselves and then for other people and then for all beings in all realms, in all worlds, not just humans. And so it was just fun. It brought me a lot of joy to talk with him um, because maybe because at another time of my life, if he would have been somebody I wouldn't have related to. I would have been, okay, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't do this guy's world, so. But we were, we're in the same world. Don't, doesn't matter if I'm a Buddhist teacher and this guy's an astrophysicist. We're in the same world. And it was, it was very, brought me a lot of joy to hang out with him a little and get to know him a little. And then, of course, when I was talking to a few people about, oh, I was going to teach about Jordan, I, um, the other thing that came up was Grover, who, you know, brings a tremendous amount of joy. Some of you might not, have, anybody here not met Grover? No, <laughs> no yeah. <laughs> Grover's a, a, our dog, <laughs> and it's a new dog who we've had a few months, and uh, and it's just so interesting how much joy, and somebody was commenting on, because um, um, Grover was on the hike, right, yesterday, and Grover would go off by himself, and then when I would call him sometimes, and he just would come running, like, full out, and very happy to see me and then run away and do his thing. And then if I would call him, I'd go, Grover! And he would just go, shoo, and be totally happy. And his joy brought joy for me, you know, because it's, it's catching joy, which points to something about when we really relax, states of consciousness are catching. Like we can get them, we can feel them. No, we'll get them. And, You've all, I would imagine, have had that experience with somebody who's in a bad mood and you feel it, you get it. It doesn't exactly make you feel joyous, right? But, but when you're around somebody who's happy or joyful, it's catching. And Grover's pretty joyous kind of little guy, dog. And so it's one of the things one can do sometimes is not only pay attention to the suffering of the world, but pay attention to the beauty of the world, of the goodness of the world. Because it's just amazing for all of us that we're alive at all. Nobody can really explain what is that. I mean, we can talk about it scientifically in terms of we get born in bodies and this and that. But really, what is life? Where does that come from? What is, what is this living consciousness that's sitting right here listening to me and that knows a lot and has learned a lot? But if you turn and look at the living consciousness, what do you see, right? What is it? What's here? What's the, what I would call the magic or mystery or beauty that's right here 
that, that is seeing and hearing and feeling and tasting and touching and knowing and experiencing life that's alive, that it itself is alive. So um, this is from Rumi, the great poet Rumi said, do not sit long in sadness, my friend. Do not sit long in sadness, my friend. When you go out to the garden, do you look at the thorns or the flowers? Do you look at the thorns or the flowers? Spend more time with roses and jasmine. And it's important for us as human beings, it's part, important for us to not just be attached to any one thing and to be open to reality both the difficulty and the suffering and what's troublesome about reality, but also the beauty of it and the delight of it and the joyousness of it and the magic of it and the mystery of it. And so what I'd like to do, I'm going to do here, and I'm going to give you a little, um, we're going to do a little guided meditation now for just a few minutes. And then we'll do some questions and comments. So you can sit upright or you can stay relaxed. You can be any way you want right now. How's that for an instruction? And you might shut your eyes. And I'm going to give you some phrases, some, some mudita phrases. And these come from my friend uh, Akinchino, um, that I really liked, that I hadn't heard quite put this way before. And so, first of all, yeah, probably with your eyes shut, and bring to mind, um, let's see, bring to mind someone you have a heart connection with, an easy heart connection. Not somebody you have a difficult heart connection, but an easy, like Grover's easy to have an easy heart connection. Or really my father-in-law's easy to have an easy heart connection, or, you know, my, my Buddhist teacher, I can have an easy heart connection with. Or, um, you know, maybe a grandparent. And, and it can, they can be dead or alive. <coughs> and, and then we're gonna, we're gonna just say some phrases in your, quietly to yourself in your heart and mind, whoever that person might be and just see what happens as you imagine them, imagine their image. And the first phrase is, how wonderful you are in your being. 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 I delight in your presence. I delight in your presence. I delight in your presence. I take joy in your good fortune. 
I take joy in your good fortune. I take joy in your good fortune. May your happiness continue. May your happiness continue. I wish this for you. May your happiness continue. How wonderful you are in your being. I delight in your presence. I take joy in your good fortune. May your happiness continue. I wish all of these for you. And take a breath, take a few breaths now. And then let an image come up in your heart and mind. Let an image come up of yourself. It could be yourself as you look now or any image in your life or yourself as a child or a baby but seeing or recognizing an image of yourself. And then you're going to see yourself and you're going to offer some of the phrases. See the image of this person that we often call me or I. And again, how wonderful you are in your being and offer it to this image that you're seeing. How wonderful you are in your being. Letting the image be in your heart and mind in a relaxed way. I delight in your presence. I delight in your presence. I take joy in your good fortune. I take joy in your good fortune. May your happiness continue. I wish this for you. May your happiness really continue. 
wonderful you are in your being. I delight in your presence. I take joy in your good fortune. May your happiness continue. practice, the little piece of practice we ended with. doesn't mean you feel joy when you do it. That's really important. You, it's an intention practice also. And so, just so you know, I don't know if you know that, and I, I, that was in my talk, but I didn't say it tonight. But it's really an important part and a surprising part of the Brahma Viharas is you're not expected to be feeling it because they're not emotions. I have a... Go ahead. There are a few things I could say, but I think I have some amount of uh, identity <laughs> built around sort of like house that doesn't let me feel joy. Uh -huh. You might. And that sucks. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, really good for you to see it. And, and now this is where the karuna, or the compassion, becomes very important. You don't add judgment onto that. I mean, what I really want to do is break, break down the house, you know. Right. Well, you, you, good luck. Mm -hmm. Meaning sometimes one can do a kind of sort of wisdom breaking down. It. Often that's not how it works. The kindness is more important and it slowly melts it. Or it slowly, you take one brick out at a time and then at some point it can fall down. Because it's not true. You can feel joy, but for what it, some reason or reasons, remember causes and conditions are important to be aware of, it's gotten limited for you. And it's really important to be kind to yourself rather than hard on yourself about it. 
Is that okay? Yeah, and, and the Brahma Viharas will challenge um, many of us in different ways. Some the loving kindness will challenge us, some compassion really challenges a lot of people. And of course, joy will challenge us, and uh, maybe most especially equanimity will cha challenge us. Because we're not raised to be equanimous. We're not raised to even recognize that as a really beautiful quality of the heart. Right. What else? And if you've never spoken here, don't be shy. Or no, you can be shy, but speak anyways. Really, it's fine to be shy. I always, I have my line about, you know, shyness is a harbinger of being coming into the world. It's a beautiful part of us as human beings. So was that talk interesting or not? Or like, should I throw it away? Come on. Let's, you know, this is like relational practice, the Brahma Viharas. I think I said that. <coughs> Jennifer's been here long enough, she doesn't have to raise her hand at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're, well, I'll speak for myself. I didn't really want to get up because I'm just sitting there glowing from the practice of saying those lines. Uh -huh. So thank you for that. Sure. Um, and to sort of talk a little more about joy, I I feel a lot more through practice I'm closer to joy than I've probably ever been in my life. But somehow growing up Unitarian and kind of having a Jewish thing of don't get too joyful because <laughs> it invites the evil eye. <laughs> You know, so it, it, that's it's, a it's, Jewish thing. Yeah. Well, I think so. You I have didn't to, know you that. know, you feel joy. You have to go. Tuk, tuk, tuk. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, to banish the evil eye okay. because you'll be struck down uh -huh. if you're too joyful. Oh, really? Okay, I'll so. have to remember that now. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I've been trying to forget that. So, uh, okay, but it's. There's something that's too big about joy, and like I don't really deserve to feel that joyful. Right. So it's good you see that many of the traditions of many religions have a little bit of like, it's not about joy, it's about difficulty, or it's about something, because there's good things in every religion, and then there is a little bit of this, you can't have too much, be careful. And Buddhism says, oh, you could have everything in a certain way. But everything means you know that you don't have everything when you have everything, and then you really have everything. Well, that's, you know, I said it in a very Zen way, but it's really, it's really true. Because Buddhism says, you know, what, what was, I, found, I find always so interesting about the d Buddha was he wasn't in control of reality. He woke up to reality. 
you woke up to who and what he was, it didn't mean he was then in control of reality. No, over here, yeah. Hi, my name is Elise. Um, I really loved this talk, Eugene. It was really great. Okay. And I appreciate you giving voice to joy versus the suffering in the way that you put that. And as we went through the first exercise of uh, thinking of the person or someone, some being, uh -huh. it was easy to have a heart connection with. Um, I'd actually, I stepped into saying it to myself before you instructed that. <laughs> so I'm really glad that you did that. Uh -huh. But I could feel a little, uh, not towards this person, but just a little closure uh -huh. in my heart. And so uh -huh. when I did that, it opened things up. And it's like, this is the place that I want to live all the time, but uh -huh. it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like I'm still doing, you know, kind of the bricks like Ben is talking about. And... I, I you know, will. aware that I won't probably be in a well, you know, maybe I will be in a joyous place forever, but <laughs> if I'm not, you know, the current part. Right, but yeah. we're, we're not trying to be in any one place at all. Mm -hmm. But we are seeing the potential for what can arise as it's called for or needed or what's here. And yeah, I mean, I don't know anybody who lives in any one place all the time, even the, you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who I've met and spent a little time with. And, you know, he's a human being. And in Eugene's Buddhist language, shit happens, and it's difficult at times. And, and that's part of it, too. So we're not teaching, oh, we're just going to live in one place. But we are teaching, oh, this is the potential of what's already here and what we can discover if we keep looking and can keep emerging more and more and more. And because the Dalai Lama has, you know, as, the, as there's no heart in this world more awake than that heart and more loving, really. I mean, he's a beautiful, I mean, he's the real thing. And, and yet, he gets frustrated at times, or angry sometimes. He was, he was talking about it. He said, oh, he doesn't get angry about the big things, but he does get a little angry when the car gets cut off in traffic sometimes, you know, which is like the most human thing, right? That happens. And so just watch out for having too much of an idea about what's supposed to happen and keep seeing what happens as you live your life and do your practice. And at least in my opinion and my experiences, I don't do the Dharma. The Dharma does me. And that's such a relief that I don't have to do the Dharma. I do my practice and then the Dharma does me. And, and I have a tremendous faith in that at this point in my life because I've seen it get past a lot of big obstacles that are called Eugene, mm -hmm. right? And, and those obstacles aren't as big as I think they can be. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. And then I still have this idea, maybe not of the word joy, but like of an open heart, like a constant open heart. Yeah. 
Are you saying that the Dalai Lama doesn't always have that? <laughs> well, sure, but an open heart means you're open to the heart being angry. Yeah, I've noticed that actually. I had like moments of, um, you know, anger, frustration, and realizing that my consciousness was in that moment. I could see it. Uh huh. Right. That was like a little bit closer to me than being angry in the past, and maybe not. Than being what? Being angry or frustrated in the past, you know, perceived like. Uh-huh. Closed heart and not being so right. then, aware of it in the moment. Right, and, yeah. and then when you, when we get aware of it, there's a kindness that comes. Mm -hmm. We just say, "Oh, I'm hurting." <laughs> you know, totally. this is this hurts to have a closed heart, and it does. Mm -hmm. But it's not. I'm just watching out for any self judgment with it. Right, we don't want to add any self judgment, any, and we don't want to add the judging mind into as if it's true, because we're all waking up, and it takes a while The Dalai Lama, you know, he has spent many lifetimes waking up, at least in the Buddhist understanding, right? This isn't the first lifetime for him, right? So he's had more practice than you and me, okay? Okay, okay. Thank thank you. yeah, thank you. I think that's good, um, at least by my time. Oh, okay, last, please. I've been working a lot lately on letting, just watching all the ways I identify with everything and uh -huh. talk about myself to myself constantly in my uh -huh. meditations, et cetera, et cetera, and good. really sort of releasing that. And so when you said those phrases, and. There was something about what well, I was just completely receptive, and I realized this is just universal. I, this, I don't have to take it that it's me, Sally, that yeah. I can have this kind of joy. It's universal. Uh -huh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> don't thank me. Thank the Buddha. Thank reality. It is there's something. But you were seeing something, and you've done a lot of practice, and things happen. Good things happen. So thank you. Okay, so let's sit for a minute before we end and just really appreciations to Akinchana, who I appreciated what he offered in terms of the, especially those phrases, because those were different than the, the kind of uh, Brahma-Vihara phrases that I grew up with. So appreciating our good fortune that we have, that we could be here, that we have a place and teachings and, you know, the uh, support from our friends or family or that we could take the time to come together and look and study what is joy and what blocks joy and what supports joy and what happens when we recognize and offer ourselves our mudita and appreciating this good fortune may it be for our benefit as it has been for the benefit of one another and for the benefit of all beings may the benefit be limitless boundless 
May it go out in every direction, in every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from misunderstanding, free from anything that limits our beautiful nature from the magic and mystery and the Brahmanness of our hearts and minds. May we all wake up, may we realize, discover, wake up to our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. May all beings be free in every world. to when there's joy this week and when there's not joy or, or if something is blocking your joy. Okay, great. And if you have a few minutes to help us clean up or straighten up, please stick around and talk to Patrick if you don't know what to do. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.